Two days after two mass shootings, one perpetrated by a racist eco-fascist, the other perpetrated by an avowed leftist, the mainstream American left blames conservatives for the shootings, maligns half the country as bigoted, and threatens physical violence against leading Republicans. We examine the profound shame that the left ought to feel for exploiting the not yet cold bodies of dead Americans. Then, the usually correct and usually right New York Post gets guns totally, totally wrong, and woke whites play audiences of color for fools. Finally, the Trump administration ramps up the trade war against China, and that's a very good thing. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. A lot to get to today, in part on the left's reaction to those mass shootings over the weekend. A, a really, I've, I've never seen a worse, more shameful reaction to a national tragedy like we're seeing take place on the left right now, not just on the fringes, but in the mainstream media and among mainstream politicians. It's absolutely disgusting, and we'll call them out for every part of it. The right is also reacting in not a great way, uh, not in their condemnations of the left, but in their condemnations of guns. We'll separate fact from fiction at the, at the New York Post. And then the, the big story that no one's talking about because we're all calling each other bigots and racists and, and uh, blaming each other for shootings. The big story is on currency manipulation in China and the, what the Trump administration is doing to ramp up this trade war and why it's uh, very important that we do that. We're doing it about 15 years too late. But first, before we get to any of that, Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. Now, you might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere, and you probably know because I tell you about them all the time. Ring does two things, and I'm not sure which is the most important. One, it makes you feel safer because you're connected to your home from anywhere in the world. You can be at the office, you can be in your bedroom, you can be on a beach somewhere. If there is a package delivery, you can see and talk to the package delivery man two-way audio features. If your mother-in-law stops by, you can see that and you cannot talk to her. You can explicitly pretend not to be home, all from your phone. That is thanks to HD video and two-way audio features on all Ring devices. I love Ring because, you know, I go on the road a fair bit, so I'm, you know, I'm traveling all over the country. Sometimes sweet little Elise is all home by her lonesome. And, uh, you know, she's a pretty good shot and obviously we're armed to the hilt, but uh, still, I don't want to put her in that position where she's got to lock and load. Fortunately, thanks to the two-way video and audio features, sweet little Lisa can feel safe. I give this out to all of my friends when they have a housewarming because on the one hand, it's a super cool product. This, the second thing that's so cool about Ring is it makes you feel like you're in the future, like you're just living in the Jetsons. But also the thing I really like about it is it's an incredibly good value, so you don't have to pay zillions of dollars for it. You can start building a ring of security around your home right now. The way that you can do it is with a special offer on a Ring starter kit right now with video doorbell, motion-activated floodlight camera. Starter kit has everything you need to build a ring of security around your home. Ring.com slash Knowles. Go to it right now. Ring.com slash Knowles. You will feel safe, and most importantly, you'll feel really, really cool. We all know the awful tragedy that happened over the weekend, one shooting in El Paso, Texas, one shooting in Dayton, Ohio, one perpetrated by an eco-fascist, so a guy who has certain right-wing leanings and certain left-wing leanings, right-wing leanings, say, on the nation and preserving the nation and conserving the nation, left-wing leanings on uh, 
in, insane environmentalism, so a, a rabid environmentalism. And then a racial bigotry on top of that, which doesn't really cut neatly on party lines. That was in El Paso, in Dayton, Ohio. We don't know the motive for that shooting, but we do know that the guy who did it was a, a fan of Elizabeth Warren. He was a self-described socialist, self-described Satanist, a leftist. We know that he was a fan of Media Matters for America, one of the most despicable organizations in the country. He was regularly posting their content as well. I'm not blaming Media Matters for it because I'm not as shameful and disgusting as they are, though the left is blaming the right for all of this. I mean, totally bizarre because one of the guys who did it was a, uh, an Elizabeth Warren supporter. Doesn't stop the left. They are blaming the right for the shooting. They are blaming the right for dead Americans. They're calling President Trump a white supremacist. None of it makes sense. And it is so hyperbolic in all of the awful things that the right has ever said about Democratic presidents. I don't think we've ever gone this far. It's just awful. Mika Brzezinski, Joe Scarborough's girlfriend over at MSNBC, said, she actually said this today, that President Trump wants more white supremacist mass murders, that he wants that. That's what he's hoping for in the country. Let me ask you something. What has President Trump said that could, could lead you to believe that he wants more white supremacist mass murders? Anything? Anything coming to mind? Of course not. It's an outrageously defamatory thing to say. That's a sick and perverted thing to say about the president of the United States, especially one who has repeatedly condemned violence and racism and bigotry and white supremacy. During a panel on MSNBC, the Washington Post's Eugene Robinson said that we're going to see a white supremacist 9-11. That's what he said is coming up. Then Mika said, that's just what Trump wants. There could be another Oklahoma City bombing, you know, it, 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 or something like that. I mean, we're going to have uh, the equivalent of a, of a, of a racist right-wing um, white nationalist 9-11 here, I, I, I think, and I make that prediction. Um, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, and, uh, and yet no, I, no, I have no, no confidence. No, there are a lot of things he can do. But he won't. And so you have to ask the question, Chell. And I'll ask you, isn't it okay to deduce that at this point, this is what he wants? He is inciting hatred, inciting violence, inciting racism. If he doesn't unequivocally call it off and say, this is wrong, and we stand together against this, and we are doing this, this, and this to help fight hate crime. I mean, this is a president who seems to want these things to happen. How else can, can this be explained? How else can this be explained? Any other way, that's how. And the only way it can't be explained is what you just said, Mika Brzezinski. Let's just take a jog down memory lane all the way back to 15 hours ago when President Trump made these comments yesterday on the attack in El Paso. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. Warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. We must unite in one voice and condemn racism and bigotry and white supremacy and white nationalism and neo-Nazism. Fill in whatever uh, racist category you want in there. But that's probably the first time President Trump said that, right? That's why Mika knows that he secretly wants more white supremacist mass shootings to occur. Notice she doesn't talk about the leftist 
Elizabeth Warren supporter who shot up a bar in Dayton, Ohio. She just, I guess that slipped her mind, even though that's the most recent mass shooting that occurred on Sunday. No, no, she's talking about the guy in El Paso. Notice she doesn't talk about how he was a rabid environmentalist, eco-fascist. No, doesn't bring that up. She says he's a white supremacist, which is part of the story. And then she says, President Trump wants more of that to happen. She doesn't talk about when Trump condemns racism. She doesn't talk about just another little jog down memory lane, the many times over the past three years that President Trump has explicitly condemned racism, bigotry, white supremacism, white nationalism, every other form of bigotry, just to jog your memory. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. And I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our Creator. We are equal under the law and we are equal under our Constitution. Those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. How many times do I have to reject? I've rejected David Duke, rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. From the time I'm five years old, I rejected them. I put it on Twitter last week. Now, I have been asked this question so many times. I have rejected it so many times. Oh, so I guess from just that little mashup of everything Trump has said over the last three years he's been in politics, I mean, I could go back further. I could go back to when he rejects racism when he was flirting for running for president in 2000. I could go back to when he was palling around with Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson in the 80s and 90s. Seems to me pretty consistent that President Trump has rejected all of this. And Mika Brzezinski, Joe Scarborough's girlfriend who has a show on MSNBC, has the audacity to go on television and accuse the president of the United States of wanting there to be more white supremacist mass murders. Can you imagine, imagine if a talking head on the right said that sort of thing about Barack Obama? Yeah, Barack Obama wants more black people to kill white people in America. Yep, that's what Barack Obama wants. Could you imagine the outcry? But it wasn't just Mika. Mika's going to get away with it. Be- one, because no one's paying attention to Joe in the morning. And two, because everyone else on the left was saying that too. Not just her. Not just a cable news host. The disgraced former journalist Dan Rather used to be a network anchor. Then he, uh, he reported on false forged documents about George W. Bush's military service just weeks before the 2004 presidential election. I mean, totally egregious act of a political hack, which is what Dan Rather is. Dan Rather went on television. He he was discussing with Don Lemon, another fake journalist on the cable channel CNN, why we shouldn't take Trump at his word. We shouldn't believe what he has repeatedly said for decades about racism and bigotry. We should just believe what Dan Rather wants to believe that Donald Trump believes. Here they are. My fellow members of the press, I suggest we refrain from quoting the president's words from prepared speeches into headlines and tweets without context. He sometimes says the right thing. The real questions are what he does and what he really believes. So you've been watching this all along. What does he really believe, you think? He believes that fear conquers. That's his basic belief. He's all about fear. You know, 
Don, this moment in our history, which I want to make clear, I'm here with a strong sense of compassion and grieving right. for all of those families who suffered in these most recent shootings. But this moment in our history reminds me a great deal of when I was covering the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King in the early 1960s. There was clearly, definitively, right and wrong. Mm -hmm. That was the truth of the situation. Then and now, it's the job of journalists not to try to hide or obscure, but to speak the truth. And that's where we are now. People say, well, I'm not sure President Trump is racist. Well, racist is as racist does. I can't read President Trump's heart, but by what he does. This is an amazing statement from Dan Rather. This is an incredible statement from him, one of the most famously disgraced journalists in recent American history. Dan Rather says it's the, the job of journalists. As this jo- the job of journalists is to report the truth. Dan Rather famously didn't report the truth. He reported lies because he's such a partisan hack that he wanted to swing the 2004 election and he was willing to peddle false documents in order to do it. But even on this question, what is, what is the truth of this situation? The truth is President Trump has repeatedly, consistently, constantly condemned racism and bigotry for years and years and years. And Dan Rather is reporting the opposite because he doesn't like the truth, because the truth doesn't fit his narrative, which is false. So what does Dan Rather report? Which is the lie. He reports that, it's, that it is not the case that President Trump condemns racism and bigotry. And then he has the gall to say, well, I can't, I can't purport to know Donald Trump's heart. But racism is as racism does. What does that mean? We know Trump has condemned racism. By the way, in politics, speech is most of what you do. Politics is, uses language. Speech is politics. Going back to the orations of Pericles in ancient Greece, all the way to the present, the way that politicians do their job is by making speeches, is by persuading their fellow citizens and persuading legislators and by persuading the public with rhetoric, oratory, and statecraft. In many ways, oratory is statecraft. So the very fact that President Trump is consistently saying these things constitutes what he is doing. Even if there were something he were doing separate from what he is saying, can Dan Rather point to what that is? I mean, Dan Rather's idea is that President Trump is saying we need to condemn racism, but he's doing a lot of awful, bigoted, racist things. Let's name them. Uh, He's bringing black unemployment to the lowest level ever. That doesn't seem too bigoted, does it? Bringing Hispanic unemployment to the lowest level ever. That doesn't seem too bigoted either. He is appointing ethnic minorities to positions in his administration. Okay, doesn't seem too bigoted. Just as a matter of pop culture, the most famous black superstar in the world is endorsing President Trump, wore a MAGA hat in the Oval Office, said, I love this guy. That's the same guy who said George Bush doesn't care about black people. Doesn't seem too bigoted to me. What else? How about uh, beyond uh, black and Hispanic vote? How about Jewish? Oh yeah, he got a town in Israel named after him. Doesn't sound too big. So if we're just judging by the other actions, it seems like President Trump is either the least, uh, among the least bigoted people that have ever occupied the office. No one's less bigoted than him. Or he's the least effective bigot that has ever occupied the White House. I guess he could be really just so ineffective and totally bungling at uh, the job of being a white supremacist. That's what it is.
How about the New York Times headline? So the first New York Times headline was actually pretty good. The headline read, Trump urges unity versus racism. Now you'll notice that's not editorial. That's not giving their opinion. That's just reporting on the facts. President Trump's speech said, we need to be unified against racism. That was the thesis sentence of the speech. So in a very simple way, and just here's the facts, that's what the speech did. Good headline. Left was furious about it. They were so angry because they're, ang- they're, they're angry that reality is not comporting to what they want the narrative to be. They would have much preferred if Trump went out there and said, wahoo, we love white supremacy. Yeah, Hitler forever. All right, let race war now. That's what they imagine President Trump to be doing. And that's the lie they're peddling to the American people. So when reality doesn't jive with their stupid, bigoted narrative, they have to change the reality. So uh, even Nate Silver, who's a leftist, usually is one of the more reasonable leftists. Nate Silver is the statistician at 538. He tweets out, quote, not sure Trump urges unity versus racism is how I would have framed the story. Right. You would have framed it with a lie. If that's not how you would have framed the story, then you would have framed it with a lie, I guess, because if you frame it with the truth, that's what the story says. Cory Booker, Senator Spartacus, crying tears of rage over his own dwindling poll numbers, tweeted out, quote, lives literally depend on you doing better, New York Times. Please do. I was trying to get my tears of rage Spartacus voice there. Lives literally depend on you doing better, New York Times. Please do. The New York Times headline is going to kill people now. Talk about a little emotional manipulation. Talk about a threat to the New York Times. Say, hey, New York Times, if you don't report the lies that are politically convenient to me that I want you to use, I'm going to accuse you of killing people. Cory Booker, very serious man, totally serious Spartacus candidate for president. Then we have AOC, the piece de la resistance. Quote, let this front page serve as a reminder of how white supremacy is aided by and often relies upon the cowardice of mainstream institutions. The New York Times is now an organ of white supremacy. You've seen this creep up in the last year or two. The, the old word that the left would irresponsibly and recklessly use to smear everyone they don't like was racist. Now they're, they're turning it up to 11. They're turning it up a notch and they're saying anyone who disagrees with them is a white supremacist, including now apparently the New York Times. That's it. So this is pretty unfortunate because there are genuinely bigots out there, which I'm more than happy to ostracize and, and point out that they're bigots and say, therefore, we shouldn't listen to them or take them seriously. When you use the phrase racism, white nationalism, white supremacy, whatever phrase you want to use to describe everybody, it loses its meaning. So you actually can no longer use it to describe even people that it would accurately describe because it it doesn't have meaning. The left has robbed it of meaning. Another reason that they should feel profound shame in their handling of this story. So what did the New York Times do? Did they keep the headline? All the news that's fit to print, the gray lady, the the standard of journalism in the world? No, of course not. They capitulated to the left. How could they not? It's their whole audience. It's their whole editorial board. And they're being threatened by the left. I mean, Cory Booker said that we'll accuse you of killing people if you don't change the headline. So they changed the headline to assailing hate, but not guns. Right. Uh Uh-huh. We'll get into why in a second, because the right is getting this a little bit wrong too. But first, 
you know, look, you can say the New York Times has totally gone overboard. The New York Times is a former newspaper like Drew calls them. You can say that the cable news networks, MSNBC and CNN are a joke. They're nothing but Pravda trash for leftist cosplayers and LARPers who want to pretend that we're living in the 1930s Germany, even though when you look outside at the facts, obviously the human condition is broken. Obviously there are tragedies that are going to happen and they've happened in the past and they're going to happen in the future. But broadly speaking, everything's going pretty well. Even network news, which is supposed to be more moderate, stalwart, more sober, this is the mainstream that's going out to way more people in the country. Even network news, NBC news, network, not cable, accused President Trump of inspiring mass murderers. Here they are. We found the ideology that can inspire some to mass murder is taking inspiration from the president. We went to a neo-Nazi festival in Germany a few weeks ago. But what surprised us most is what organizers were handing out at the door. So they're giving out hats. M-G-H-A, make Germany hate again. We found the man who made the hat. So people are using his, yes. his hat as an yeah. inspiration. Yes. Do people here like him? Do you like him? Uh, I like his style. NBC News had so much trouble linking President Trump to white supremacists and bigots and racists in America. They had to fly all the way over the Atlantic Ocean. They had to go to Germany. They had to find some random festival somewhere. They had to pick up a red hat that was totally changed to become a a parody of the Make America Great Again hat. It wasn't great. It was hate. It said, make Germany hate again. So it wasn't saying we're going to model ourselves after the Trump movement. It was saying we're going to take the Trump movement and invert it, right? Not great, but hate to, uh, they had, they had to go all the way over there to tie President Trump to this kind of bigotry. And then they say, they said, do you like Trump? And they said, well, I like his style. Yeah. They like the style. They like the hat. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like his policies, but they like, you know, the hat. Breaking news report. We found a team that flew to Germany to find a festival where the people liked red hats. NBC News. Also that they can say that Trump inspires neo-Nazis and mass murderers. Then the phrase on Twitter, massacre Moscow Mitch started to trend. These are people who refer to Mitch McConnell as Moscow Mitch because they, they can't get over that ridiculous conspiracy that President Trump is a puppet of the Russian government, even though even, even Bob Mueller totally disproved that in his Mueller report, even though you would think the more educated Democrats, maybe I'm, maybe I'm using a phrase that's a contradiction in terms, you would think they would get over that hoax after three years. They haven't. So massacre Moscow Mitch. Slaughter, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was trending on Twitter. And I wouldn't even bring it up because Twitter is not real life. I've said this many times. Twitter is not real life. However, it wasn't just the wacky anonymous accounts that were tweeting it. It was CNN contributors. CNN contributor Wajahat Ali, I don't know how to pronounce his name because I don't know who he is because I don't watch CNN, but he is a CNN contributor. Wajahat Ali tweeted out, quote, massacre Moscow Mitch is trending. I still have faith in America. Imagine if a Fox contributor in 2011 tweeted out, massacre Barack Obama is trending. I have faith in America. Imagine what would happen the guy would probably be arrested. But what's happened to this guy, Wajahat Ali? As of now, nothing. 
He tweets us about Mitch McConnell. Right now, Mitch McConnell is at his home recovering from a shoulder injury because he fell because he's got weak legs because he's a, a recoverer and victim of polio in his youth. A lot of people don't know that about Mitch McConnell, but he had polio. So how did the left treat him? Why, of course, a mob showed up outside his house while Massacre Mitch was trending to physically intimidate him. Here they are. We're at McConnell's house. This think he's about to get some rest. Not if the, kill, the children that you're kidnapping can't get any rest. Not if families who are getting murdered can't get any rest. Mitch! Ditch Mitch! Ditch Mitch! This is this bitch's house. He's in there nursing his little broken arm. He should have broke his little raggedy, wrinkled neck. That's a mob in the middle of the night outside the home of the elderly Senate majority leader, polo, polio victim recovering from a shoulder injury because of children he's kidnapping. Well, I guess that refers to the fact that we arrest illegal aliens and this myth that we're keeping children in cages using photos that actually are from the Obama administration. That's the left for you. And then my favorite one, Riza Aslan, who's a former CNN contributor and an admitted cannibal, actual cannibal, actually ate human brains on camera. Uh, he came out and called for the murder of Kellyanne Conway, the senior advisor to the president. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to what this means for the left. We will get to a, a really terrible editorial from the New York Post, usually right, usually conservative. They've gone totally bonkers on guns. And then really we'll get to the most important story, which is China's currency manipulation and what we're doing to combat it. But first, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Go to dailywire.com. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get the Matt Walsh Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get to ask questions backstage. You get everything. You get to watch the last 10 minutes of my Sunday special interview with Ben Shapiro. I have to thank all of you for going over and listening to it. Numbers are doing really well. It charted at, I think, number six on the overall worldwide Apple Podcasts charts. Uh, you can check that out on the Ben Shapiro Show uh, RSS feed and podcast feed. And it, it was a lot of fun to sit down with Ben. So uh, please go over there and look also, because if we get it to trend higher, uh, Ben will have to have me back on and that will make him very sad and it will make me giggle. So go, go over there, go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Finally, this is the little cherry on top of this hate-filled Sunday from the left reacting to a national tragedy and blaming the right for it with no base whatsoever. Former CNN contributor and admitted cannibal Riza Aslan called for the murder of the senior advisor to the president, Kellyanne Conway. He tweeted out, quote, you are the depraved evil we need to eradicate. Because Kellyanne Conway said we need to eradicate depraved evil. Obviously, that's what we all want to do. Evil doesn't have a political party. The, the shooter in Texas might have been a little more right-wing, maybe. So he's very left-wing too, but even let's just say he was a little more right-wing. The shooter in Ohio was obviously very left-wing. Evil doesn't have a political party. We need to eradicate evil. And he, he, Risa Aslan responded to that by saying, we need to eradicate you. He didn't say we need to eradicate you from office. Didn't say we need to eradicate you from politics. He said we need to eradicate you. We need to murder you. Imagine, imagine if someone, a conservative, 
tweeted out about a senior advisor to Barack Obama, we need to kill you, we need to eradicate you. Roseanne Barr once tweeted out a racially insensitive joke about the senior advisor to President Obama, Valerie Jarrett. She lost her hit sitcom within hours. This guy, CNN contributor Reza Aslan, calls to murder the senior advisor to the president. And what has happened? Nothing. This in a situation where one of the shooters is a, an admitted socialist and Liz Warren supporter. But the left doesn't care. They don't report on it. They blame the right for everything. They call the right bigoted. No introspection, no humility, no grace. They just pretend that they're all white supremacists and so is Trump and so is everybody else. This, this reminds me, when, we're, when the right is looking about how to re- respond to this, it, it makes me think, you know, when you're in middle school or high school, everyone's giving each other or they're breaking each other's kulyuns, you know, they're uh, giving each other a hard time, busting each other's chops. And there's sometimes, at least among guys, I assume this is true among girls too, where, you know, you're giving it back and forth to each other and you're insulting one another and you can do it in kind of good fun or it can turn a corner and it becomes serious and it becomes really bullying and it becomes like you realize the other guy hates you. You're not just kidding around anymore. And I think in American politics, the right is under this misapprehension that we're just kind of joking around and look, the right says bad things about the left, which we do. We call them kind of dummies sometimes or hysterical children. And then the left says bad things about the right. And, but you know, look, at the end of the day, we're all Americans. We all get along. That's not what we're seeing here. They hate us. They hate our guts. They wish we were eradicated. They think that we are Nazis. They think we're the same thing as Hitler. They hate us. It's not just in good political fun back and forth. They despise us. They want our shows taken off the air. They want us to leave the country. They hate us. It's not the same thing. And what this means, like when you got to stand up to the bully in middle school or high school, it means you can't just kind of make a joke about it anymore. You've got to really, you got to really take them on seriously. And what, what this means is that probably on the right, we need our own media matters. What this means on the right is we need to really speak with brutal honesty about them. Not in the way that you talk about a friend and you say, well, I'm going to have a little grace. I'm going to, no, I, I don't think we can have grace right now with the left. I think we need to speak brutally, honestly about them. What hopeless bigots they are, how vile and filled with hatred they are, how despicably they're exploiting the not yet cold bodies of dead Americans for their own sick, shallow political purposes. It's so shameful. They should feel profound shame. Their parents should feel shame for what they're doing. Their parents should be deeply ashamed of them and they should be ashamed of themselves and they should go and sit at home and cry and think about what terrible actions they've undertaken and what terrible people they've become. And then they should ask forgiveness of their God and ask forgiveness of all of us and ask forgiveness of the president and ask forgiveness of Kellyanne Conway and ask forgiveness of Mitch McConnell and ask, plead on their hands and knees if they can be permitted back into polite civil society. It's really, really disgusting all of them. The Pod Save America guys saying that if you watch Fox News, you're contributing to white supremacy and mass killings. Disgusting. 
That man should not be, Dan Pfeiffer is his name. He should not be permitted in polite society. The cannibal, Riza As, I guess cannibals generally shouldn't be permitted in polite society. Riza Aslan should not be permitted in polite society. You know, when Bill de Blasio basically maligned all of his New York City police officers as killers and thugs and racists, you know what they did? They didn't attack him. They didn't physically attack him. They shouldn't do that. They just turned their backs on him. That's what we should do. We should take a moment after this awful temper tantrum from the left, vile, vicious temper tantrum. We should just turn our backs, not give them attention, not engage with them for a little bit. Just turn our backs and like vicious teenagers, when they calm down, they can come back and ask forgiveness and maybe we can, we can show them grace. We can show them grace then. We can't right now. Got to turn to the right very briefly because at the New York Post editorial board, they published a very stupid op-ed, or editorial rather, on this tragedy about guns called Ban Weapons of War. This could have been written by a leftist or by someone who's never fired a gun or even read a book about guns in their lives. It's really, I, I like the editorial board at the New York Post. I don't want to beat up on them, but this is just really stupid. So very briefly, we'll, we'll go through it. They go, you can read the whole editorial, just a few lines that stand out. Ban weapons of war. God save us all, sir. People across the nation are scared. Many feel like the country is spinning out of control. They're looking to their leaders for more than prayers. America is terrified. Okay, good. That's true. We all agree. But you see what they're doing is they're ginning this up as a purely emotional issue. So we're not talking about statistics. We're not talking about data. We're not talking about how guns actually are operated. Just saying we have a lot of feelings and now we need feelings. President Trump, your position to assuage that fear on gun control, you're a pragmatic centrist, someone who knows there's a vast majority of Americans who are not to the extreme left or right on the issue. They just want the killings to stop. So again, this is just appeal to emotion, just appeal to how people are feeling. And this premise that if you ban guns or certain guns, the killings will stop. The Second Amendment leaves ample room for regulating gun rights, just as every other constitutional right has limits. Yeah, that's true. We do regulate gun rights. The New York Post doesn't mention that we have an estimated 20,000 gun laws on the books at the state, municipal, and federal level. We actually don't know how many gun laws there are because we have a federalist system, federal system, so there are a lot of different laws everywhere, but it's been estimated for about 50 years that we have around 20,000 laws. Trump has sneered at others for being afraid of the NRA when it comes to passing common sense gun laws. What's a common sense gun law? You tell me. I don't know. He'd surely have rather had Congress pass a law banning bump stocks, although his administration got it done eventually through executive action. Yeah, right. He, he banned bump stocks and that didn't do anything to reduce any mass shootings whatsoever. The, the New York Post, through this one little, bit, little fact that they managed to sneak in in this emotivist editorial, they undermined their premise. Trump did ban bump stocks. It was a stupid decision to do that at the time. It didn't have any bearing in the reality of crime or gun deaths. And, and guess what? We had two mass shootings two days in a row over the weekend. Didn't do anything. But I'm sure this, this totally emotionally driven piece of gun control, I'm sure this will do something now, right? Come up with answers. Now, beginning with the return of an assault weapons ban. By the way, assault weapons, not a real category of gun. There are assault rifles. Those are fully automatic rifles. Those are virtually banned in the United States, more or less totally banned. Assault weapons is a term invented in the 1980s to confuse people who don't know anything about guns. They just refer to any sort of regular old rifle where you pull the trigger once and one round is fired 
and they have a few cosmetic features that make them look a little scarier, but functionally speaking, they're the same as just about any rifle. The New York Post uses that meaningless language, that deceptive language. We know that label doesn't actually describe a clear class of guns. Okay, then why'd you use the label? And that some studies show that the last ban, in effect from 1994 to 2004, had a limited impact. Yep, also true. But that simply means the next ban should be better written, with a clear definition focused on factors like firepower, rate of fire, muzzle velocity, etc., not on cosmetic features. Now this shows their just total ignorance of guns, because there is no difference in the rate of fire or the muzzle velocity of this one class that they're calling assault weapons and other types of rifles. They're just, they're just rifles. The cosmetic feature is the thing. The Supreme Court has ruled that the Second Amendment protects the right to own guns in common use, but that doesn't cover semi-automatic weapons regularly used only in mass shootings. Yes, it does, because they're not regularly used only in mass shootings. AR-15s are like the most popular gun in America. And they're popular because they're pretty good guns. I mean, they're, they're light, they're, they're good rifles, but they're just guns. They are, they are the common weapon. Again, it just belies this ignorance about guns that usually we see on the left, but occasionally we see on the right. Guns don't kill people, people do, says the cliche. It's not a cliche, it's a fact. But the twisted and the evil can kill a lot more when handed a murder machine. A mur- what, a murder machine? That we're to- AR-15s are murder machines, but pistols are what? Lollipops? Pistols are cotton candy? No, actually. Actually, if you look at the data, handguns kill over 22 times as many people each year as all rifles, not just the murder machine, assault weapon, whatever fake term you want to use, all rifles put together, including AR-15s and any other assault weapon you want to include in there. 22 times more people. Handguns killed many more people over that 48-hour period where we saw the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio, than rifles of any kind, including assault weapons, quote-unquote. Our founding fathers gave us the right to bear arm in a time of muskets. Again, not true. First of all, I love this idea that our founding fathers are these idiots who just, they could construct the greatest republic in the history of, of mankind. They were some of the most learned people who lived in history, and yet they couldn't suspect that, hmm, maybe guns, which have been improving in technology for the past hundreds of years, will continue to improve as in technology. Also, they, we didn't just have muskets at that time. We had the Kentucky rifle as early as the early 18th century. It's a powerful gun, a murder machine, a weapon of war. We had weapons of war, and weapons of war particularly, specifically were protected by the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment protected the weapons that were used in the Revolutionary War. Peace goes on. They did not foresee a time when a 21-year-old could kill 20 people in the span of minutes. Yes, they did. They, they weren't idiots. Contrary to this modern belief that everyone who lived more than five minutes ago was a total dummy and were really smart, believe it or not, even the old-timey people with the powdered wigs were not total idiots. It does not have to be this way. It should not have to be this way. Mr. President, do something. Help America live without fear. More people are killed each year by bats, hammers, hands, fists, feet, than are killed by any kind of rifle, including the AR-15. An assault weapons ban, quote unquote, would do nothing. It would accomplish nothing. It would just make people feel good and make right-wingers who are usually pretty clear thinking, but are on occasion susceptible to emotional emotivist arguments, make them feel like they've done something, but they haven't. 
This is why the left always wants us to leap into action. Think, we can't wait. We, the time is now. We have to act. They want us to act before we think. Because when we think, we look at the numbers and we realize this is nothing but emotional manipulation. It would not really save American lives. It would only take away a cherished and inherited right that we in this country have had for centuries and that we inherited from our political ancestors centuries before that. We need to defend reality. Conservatives need to defend reality in the face of this frivolous emotivism. You know, that, that's all the left has in this election is frivolous emotivism. They have, well, this is one of my favorite things, going back to the race issue. You have, you have this new phrase that's cropped up on the left. You see it in the presidential debates. It's called pass the mic. This idea that white people shouldn't be able to say anything. Only uh, people of color should say something. They are the only ones who should have political opinions. And what's so funny is the people who use this phrase don't believe it themselves because the people who use that phrase are always the white people. <laughs> it's always these white liberals saying, I love passing the mic. There was a guy, this got tens of thousands of retweets and likes over the weekend. This guy, Ethan Wright, some young leftist guy, he tweets out, attention, white activists, take notice of this great tactic to help uplift other voices. And it's a video of him with a little smug smile passing a microphone. Now, if he believed it, he would actually just pass the microphone instead of posting a tweet about how great he is and why people should listen to him and watch him passing the microphone to get tens and tens of thousands of retweets. Kirsten Gillibrand did this at the last presidential debate. There's a great photo of her. Kamala Harris starts speaking and she puts her hand out and stops Kamala Harris, a black woman, from speaking so that she, a blonde white woman, can talk about how important it is to not have blonde white women speak and only have black people speak. So I don't believe that it's the responsibility of Corey and Kamala to be the only voice that takes on these issues of institutional racism, systemic racism in our country. I think as a white woman of privilege who is a U.S. senator running for president of the United States, it is also my responsibility to lift up those voices that aren't being listened to. And I can talk to those white women in the suburbs that voted for Trump and explain to them what white privilege actually is. That when their son is walking down a street with a bag of M&Ms in his pocket, wearing a hoodie, his whiteness is what protects him from not being shot. When, when his, when her, when their child has a car that breaks down and he knocks on someone's door for help and the door opens and the help is given, it's his whiteness that protects him from being shot. That is what white privilege in America is today. And so my responsibility is to not only lift up those stories, but explain to communities across America, like I did in Youngstown, Ohio, to a young mother, that this is all of our responsibilities and that together we can make our community stronger. Who better to uplift black voices than a blonde white woman? Maybe the most Aryan looking woman ever to walk the face of the earth. Who better? I actually now might believe in white privilege. I think white privilege is just the obliviousness to shut up Kamala Harris and Cory Booker so that you can ramble on for over a minute about how terrible white privilege is and how we just need to uplift black voices and not have white voices. That, you know, Eric Swalwell, before he dropped out of the race, someone asked him, you're just a white guy. Why are you uh, running? And he said, well, I'm a white guy who understands and I'm going to pass the mic when, when I ha other people have experiences that I don't. Well, he's passed the mic only because his campaign ran out of money and support. It's, it, it's a total lie. They, they don't pass the mic. They want to keep the mic. And then they want to hold that mic and they want to tell you about how much they love passing the mic. 
It is just a totally empty virtue signal on race. And it's meant to gin up racial division, racial hatred, and make you think that anyone to the right of them is some racist, awful, terrible bigot. It's disgusting. They should feel deeply ashamed for it. And uh, if they, I, I fear that it's going to tear the country apart in many ways. I mean, their, their whole political career is just ripping open old, old racial wounds, racial wounds that were caused, by the way, by their own political party, uh, but, or mostly by their own political party. But they don't care. I mean, they don't care about the country. They don't like the country. They say they want to fundamentally transform it anyway, and it looks like that process is underway. But at least we should open our eyes to see what they're doing. Before we go, I just have to make one point on this uh, news coming out of the White House, the actual news of the day, instead of all this emotivist frivolity from the left, which is that the Treasury Department is now officially labeling China a currency manipulator. This is long overdue. And I know this is kind of a complex issue. So just to, to put it in, in simple terms, a lot of times the left and the, the institutional right doesn't want to acknowledge that we do have an issue on trade. We, that President Trump is right on this trade issue, that we're going into a trade war, which big business and the Chamber of Commerce hates, but we're going into it 15 years overdue. We're already in a trade war. China has been leveling this trade war against us for years. And big business basically just wanted to turn a blind eye to prioritize their own profits over the health of the country in the long term. Fair enough. That's big business's prerogative, but it's not terribly patriotic and we've got to do something about it. China has been illegally manipulating their currency. About 18 years ago now, we allowed China into the World Trade Organization. This was probably a mistake. We, we have the World Trade Organization, we have global trade and the global trade order in order to facilitate the movement of goods and services around the world. And what we had been doing is allowing smaller economies into the World Trade Organization, Japan, South Korea. And because they were smaller economies and because they were under U.S. military protection, we had some leverage over them. So we open up our markets, they open up their markets, and if they start violating the trade rules, then we have this leverage over them and so we can keep things in, in order. When we allowed China in, China had a way, way bigger population and a way, way bigger economy, trillions and trillions of dollars in their economy and over a billion people. And we allowed them in, obviously they're not under our military protection, it meant that we had no leverage on them. And they consistently would violate trade. They would steal our intellectual property. They would force hidden taxes on foreign businesses, really meaning U.S. businesses that would operate there. They would force them to use local banking partners, which was just a, a grift. It was a total uh, extortion racket. They spy on us. They obviously put spyware in our technology, which they're producing. And they, they illegally subsidize steel and aluminum, which is in violation of the World Trade Organization and they manipulate their currency. So the reason they manipulate their currency and devalue their currency is it gave them a trade advantage over the United States. So the way this works is it when, when uh, China is exporting lots and lots of goods, they want to keep exporting lots and lots of goods. But as the uh, price of the yuan, their currency increases, that compromises that. So what they do is they sell off a lot of their yuan and they buy other currencies, really meaning the dollar. And they buy this dollar, which Ill, uh, artificially and illegally devalues their currency and allows them to keep exporting lots of goods and not have to import as many goods. So it protects their own companies. This has cost the United States an at least a million jobs over the years, probably more than that, maybe 3 million jobs or even more. This has really hurt manufacturers in the United States, and it's illegal. This is not free trade. There is nothing free or fair about it. 
it has uh, also exacerbated our trade deficit. We would not have had nearly as big a trade deficit if China had not been doing this, if we called them out for this. Now, the United States can't really have a tit for tat here and devalue our currency by buying more of their currency because if we're the global reserve currency. So if we did that, it could really throw the global financial system into chaos. The long and short of this is we have to fight back for the long-term health of our country, for the long-term health of our economy, for the long-term health of our national security. And it's going to cause financial trouble in the short term. It might cause a dip in GDP, might cause our stocks to drop. That's the cost of citizenship. That's the cost of, of nationhood. Politicians of both parties, when they've been honest over the last 20 years, including Chuck Schumer just recently, said we need to get tough on China. We can't kick this down the road anymore. President Trump is doing this. He's taking a political hit for doing it, but it's the patriotic thing. It's the right thing to do. And I hope he, I hope he doesn't go weak. I hope he stays, stays strong on China. Okay, that's our show. We got a lot more to get to. We'll have to do it tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you then. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz, director Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our senior producer is Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover, technical producer Austin Stevens, editor Danny D'Amico. Our audio mixer is Mike Coromina, hair and makeup by Jesua Olvera, production assistant Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, Donald Trump may be rude, but the mainstream left is truly appalling. They use the bodies of the innocent to push their agenda, and they demonize every point of view that's not their own. To paraphrase the immortal final line from the film Jagged Edge, screw them, they're trash. If the New York Times won't help us find a way to discuss our problems, we'll do it ourselves on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.